0: Hello. Hi, Nancy Rommelman.
1: Good morning. You had a big weekend, didn't you?
0: The biggest. <laughs> I Before <laughs> I tell you about my weekend, I, <laughs> uh, I want to tell you that I was awoken, awakened, at 4, like 12 this morning, by a peal, or a, I should say a crash of thunder, so loud that I thought something had fallen on my house and it was a thunderstorm and I woke up and I checked Twitter and there was somebody in New York that was saying he had just woken up to a split of lightning so loud he thought it was biblical and now and I've been freaked out ever since.
1: Well, I thought you were gonna say you saw my tweet because I was lying in bed. I was awake, but I was my eyes were still closed, and there was a flash of silver like behind my eyes. And part of me registered that was lightning, but a the other part of me was like, Did I just have a stroke? Because I don't and then totally. and then the sound of thunder. I, I'm not kidding. I've been I love storms. I've been in a ton of freaking storms. I don't think I've ever heard thunder as loud as i heard i actually thought my first thing was like a bomb just fell in the street or a truck right. exploded in the street or a transformer yeah. it was loud so that's so we're we're our head of you so so that was when you heard it it was like five something for me it was six so they're, you're a little ahead of us but
0: i think it was the the same thunder and it east. moved east
1: yeah yeah, it was pretty, and then it rained like bananas, and now um, and now everything's fine. So there you go. Then it got really hot all of a sudden, like every like almost like tropical heat for a little while. So anyway, uh, but, but I now just it's fine. I just
0: find it really fascinating, and, and and indeed, an hour later, I did see your tweet show up, mm. and I was mm. like, this has this weird feeling like we're having the same dreams or we're cycle sisters, but mm-hmm. it is now we've involved the weather.
1: Did you also see my tweet where the state came back and asked, they they had some suspicions about, it's, they're like, we, they really want to give us an LLC, but they really need to know more about what exactly we're doing here with this smoke them if you got them. And I'm like, okay, I mean, so these what, are
0: my questions too. I mean, I, I have yeah. the same questions as the state <laughs> and the same concerns. I'm like, what are we doing and what is our purpose here? And I Completely support their investigation of this project.
1: Well, I, that I, you know, I did the best I could, but when they come back again because I was not clear enough, I will let you. Uh, I will let you answer,
0: and then maybe you'll. know. Is this an normal answer. or is it completely it's smoke because- them if you got
1: them? What could that mean? You know, it's funny because I looked up the genesis of what it meant. I mean, I've always known it to kind of mean like if you got them, use them. So I. I looked it up today because I had to, like, explain it to the state. And apparently— God, I'm it,
0: nervous now, actually.
1: It uh, it originated in World War II, which was basically, like, if you have the goods, then use them. That's what it meant. So uh, I'm sure it's going to be fine. They were very, very and nice.
0: then And then almost certainly it was used in a cigarette campaign. And that would—I would imagine— Oh, yeah. It has sure. to have been. For,
1: like, Tarryton or something.
0: Is that you're a really cigarette interested.
1: brand? Yeah, it was a cigarette brand in the I, I,
0: By the way, yesterday, yeah. I was out of the radius of Parliament land, which I normally smoke parliaments. And so when I'm out of the radius, which is like when you're a little bit outside the city, I have to choose something else. And I'm okay. trying out different brands. Okay. And yesterday, I bought Chesterfield.
1: Chesterfield's, what was it, pack of cigarettes from the 1930s was left over at the freaking gas station that had like one pump and a gas jockey?
0: Yes, yeah, so I'm going to sell <laughs> okay. it on eBay now for a million dollars. It had that cool old font. That's what it called yeah. to me. Yeah. Was it, it had like cool old font on the front. Because like normally I get Lucky techno. Strikes. Lucky Strikes are like my second tier yeah. choice. I, I and those. But then I was like, ooh. I said, no, sir. Can you make it Chesterfield? And he was like, I mean, I, it, it took forever. He was like, where are they? Like nobody had come in asking for Chesterfield. He had Chesterfield.
1: to call his mom or his grandmother. He did. Um, he did. Uh, it's funny, I, I admit it, because there was, is it, is it the case that Biden is, or whatever, the Biden administration is trying to ban menthol cigarettes? Right? <gasps> I
0: know, this almost made me want to smoke I, menthol cigarettes, well, I hate I
1: them. was a Newport smoker when I smoked. I haven't smoked since a very, very long time, almost 20 years. But I was like, dude, like, get, the, get out of here. What is, that, what, what is that about? You're going to ban menthol cigarettes? Is that like step one to banning all cigarettes? And what's the deal with menthol cigarettes?
0: A, yes. B, I guess the idea is that menthol uh, have some element creating the menthol, delicious, minty taste, that is more deleterious to your health. I mean, that's what I have to imagine, but I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about the piece that I read was that the logic was that it is used and beloved by communities of color and yes. young people. And I was like that is such interesting logic because it's like you by extending this logic it it feels like the kind of logic that could get you canceled in many other situations. Right. I don't even want I don't even want to extend some of the thoughts I'm having about things you could cancel. And be, by extension like they're not good for your health and they're loved by communities of color. And uh. It's like it's like
1: nanny state on steroids. It's like we're going to we're going to save you from yourselves. We're going
0: but to save you from your desires. Isn't the idea if we're supposed to com- support communities of color that we would get them their menthol t- cigarettes? We would make it discounted.
1: Well, uh, sure, except that it's the wrong it's the wrong thing. I mean, we had this. We
0: had this. I know, I don't, but like. Ugh. I uh, Sarah. Cigarettes were $18 in New York City. Do you realize what a freaking tax that is? That is double the amount I pay in Dallas. And that is. Wow. Already. I couldn't even. When I was in college, when I was in college, I used to uh, scrape together quarters out of my couch and buy something called Jack's cigarettes when I was super broke. And I think they were either a dollar or two dollars. I can't remember. But the normal pack was four. And that was the late 90s. And and that pack of cigarettes, well not Jack's, because who knows where they they're if they're even being sold. But um packs of cigarettes are $18 at that corner store in Chinatown. So, I was I I was shocked when she told me. And so, but the thing that makes me crazy and we can do a whole we can do a whole podcast on cigarettes and why people should hate them, but also not ban them. And, you know, the thing is, is like if you start getting into what causes cancer and you make that the the point of your of your like litigation or your um, the laws, you by extension, you'd have to start banning alcohol because alcohol has a very, very strong correlation with cancer. I don't give them any ideas. I don't want to because I don't want that ban. so It sucks because all these people that smoke give me shit for, um, I'm sorry, all these people that drink give me shit for smoking. And what I really want to do is pull out stats on cancer and, and drinking. And that is such a really uncool thing to do. And it's just also like it's using the logic that I don't like already. So when my uh, dad my dad died uh, in 2020,
1: but when he lived in New York City and I well first he lived in North Carolina for a while and he would get his cigarettes. first of all, they were cheaper down there because you're growing a lot of tobacco in that region, but also he would go to a, a native uh, reservation and, and grab the cigarettes and they were like a couple dollars a pack. Then he moved back to New York City. I lived in Portland at the time. And I used to buy him his cigarettes in Portland and ship them to him. And he would, of course, because he was old, he would write me a check and he would send me a check. I'm like, it's okay, dad. I can buy you two cartons of cigarettes. No, no, honey. And what's the postage? Like, oh, dad. And of course, you know, I would get, I always got shit. Like, well, why are you, why are you enabling him? I'm like, okay, he's 75. He like doesn't do anything but sit in the chair and read history books and watch sports. And if he wants to do that, he also, he was smoking – Um, well, he used to smoke now, which are like rolled lettuce leaves, basically. And I've he switched, smoked now. He switched to American spirit. He became like a hipster, hipster oh grandpa. Uh, but, yeah, I, I –
0: I, you know what? I don't care if people smoke. I, I just don't. I mean, I I don't, I, I, I I don't either. Don't care. It, it fascinates me how much some people do. But that's a story for another time. Yes, it Real is. Real quickly, I want to ask you, yep. do you, in the 70s and yep. some – times in the eighties, there was this thing where you could go into the store as a kid and buy cigarettes for your parents. Do you remember? Oh, this? for sure. Oh, okay. I, I, and so wait. when I was a kid, we would go in and say, this was our workaround that this is for our mom. Sure. And she was like, this is like 84, 85. And they were kind of like, I don't think so kid, get out of here. And, but a friend of mine wrote her own note Oh, wait, I, this is so
1: common. I think oh, that's okay. very but common. Okay, but this but yeah. it,
0: I was I I was sort of coming into the tail end of this. I'm going to school me. Your, school me, child. I'm going
1: to I'm going to see your I'm going to see your cigarettes and raise you booze because yeah. I actually wasn't a drinker when I was a kid. Like not even in maybe to like college. I mean, I drank a little, but not very much. But we had a liquor store in Brooklyn Heights, Van Vlex, right on Montague Street. And it was a small neighborhood. And there were like charge accounts. Like you would go to the drugstore and you could get you know shampoo and put it on the account. Well, Van Vlex, my dad had a, a liquor account. And I would go in there at like 11, 10 or 11 and pick up my dad's gin. That and is then problem, And they would just wild. give it
0: to me. This that- is normal. Totally wild. It's totally normal. But I will say, normal. I wonder, I, I'm curious if that's just a New York thing because I will say I went to college with some kids that grew up in New York and they all went into liquor stores and bars when they were like 13, 14. Oh,
1: I never, I did I moved to California when I was 24 years old. I never was carded before. Well, I might have been co- carded in college in Connecticut. In New York City growing up, I was never carded. We were going into nightclubs and bars and even like this weird strip joint once when I was 14 and 15. Nobody ever carted us, ever. It was, I don't don't know, just wasn't part of the culture. Well,
0: I had to get very creative about it. And so, you know, we had a place called Vicon Village, which was like a little- Kind of sounds like a a pharmaceuticals, Vicon Village. It, It really does. And it was a kind of pharmaceutical, which is that it was a factory for fake IDs and oh. it was right it was about 30 minute drive outside of where i lived at one of the suburban malls and so you would all go you'd go down there with your high school friends and you'd all get your license from various neighboring states so mine was from arkansas okay and it had my in fact i still have it i'll put it this will be like yeah a, yeah yeah put it in the show notes we'll put it in yeah it's it's fantastic i look adorable <laughs> and it's actually it's like the best uh, ID photo I ever took.
1: You're like, can we still use this picture on the? New I license? totally want to use I that would picture. Love it.
0: Yeah. And uh, the problem was I would always have to, you know, like memorize my address because people would ask it of you. They would say or what's your, your address? Date. You better like you
1: yeah. Better you have make to remember it your birthday. Easy. And then yeah.
0: one time I used it at Taco Cabana, which is like this is how classy I was. I was drinking margaritas at Taco Cabana, and the woman at the counter turned it over and she read to me, "This is a novelty item." And I was like, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) I just flat out left. Well, I did one time.
1: I I went skiing. Uh, My dad took us skiing in Colorado when I was like, I don't know, like 17. And um, I had a stepmother at the time. I don't know if they were married, but she was there. And I wanted to go out to like one of the clubs. It was like a bar. And she's like, just use my license. She was like 45. I was 17. She was blonde. I was pretty, they just took it. Whatever. Come on here, girl. No problem. Okay. I want to, uh, I want to address
0: if, if, because. Can, because can you know, I ask you a question before we start yeah. real, real news? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Is this what oh, you put in darling. your yogurt? Okay. No. Okay.
0: Well, Damn yes. It.
1: I don't know. Did you open it?
0: No. It just so feels liquidy. It doesn't feel solid. Okay. okay so I'm going to tell you this is Goya coconut milk. Leche de coco.
1: Okay, so there's coconut cream is what you Damn want. Damn it. So it's okay. You
0: can do something with that. or you these. could
1: You could throw it out or whatever. You can make something with it. You know what you can do with that? You can cook rice and use it, like <gasps> replace half the water and use the coconut milk and it'll That's be delicious. a delicious, delicious idea. Put it, in, put it in coffee. There's a coconut cream. It's also kind of separate. It'll, it'll separate in the can. So it's got like the thick, chunky layers of sweet cream and then the milk. But if you throw it in a little blender or bullet or something, it stays. So yeah, I've, 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 bought, I've never... Like, come- I bought like four addict.
0: products trying to replicate what you did in your in your Chinatown pad. Yeah. And yeah. they're all wrong. And a couple of them are gross. It was like coconut oil and it was like so, very, very hard.
1: Sh- Here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. Like I, I, I'm I the baker. I've been the baker since I was like seven. And uh, I give away my recipes all the time, all the time. I, I absolutely do not understand the concept of not giving away your recipes. It's like, do you want less good food in the world? Like give it away, have fun. And here's the thing. It will never, no matter if you do it exactly the way I do it, it's not going to taste exactly the same because there's the juju of putting your hands in. But I will say blending coconut cream in a bullet or a blender, it's going to taste the same.
0: I and promise. Nancy put this in her full fat yogurt the first day mm. I came to visit her and I was like, That's weird. And then the next morning so I delicious. tried it yeah, while she so- was still asleep. And I was like, I never want to eat yogurt without that in it. Yeah. It's no. it's really good.
1: Okay. So we so I ran across a story today. Uh, and we've been uh we'll get into this in a little while. We've been talking about murder the past
0: couple of days. Should we for a introduce of our podcast?
1: Oh, hey, wh- why don't you say it since I always flub it?
0: Hey, everybody. Hey, listeners. I don't think I'm oh. good at this. Okay, okay, okay. Let me try again. Me... Hey, everybody. You're listening to Smoke 'em If You Got 'em, a podcast about stuff and things with Nancy Rommelman and Sarah Heppel. I'm your host, Sarah Heppel, and then my co conspirator, Nancy Rommelman. She looks lovely today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm sitting here in Chinatown. Sarah's in Dallas. We're going to do this a couple of weeks for you guys. And we uh, we said we were going to open this podcast thanking people. And of course, we blew it already. Uh, so thank you, everybody that's been subscribing. Go over. if And if you're watching this, uh, please subscribe over on Substack. You can even pay us to subscribe, which would be awesome. And uh, Ding, Ross, ding, thank- ding, ding, ding. Has your email been dinging? You know, I gotta say, the ding oh, no. happens most the day of release. So it the dings have stopped, it's like intermittent dinging. You know, so the I,
0: dinging I, you know, happens most the day of release. I just want to set that there for a second. Okay,
1: um, and we're also going to thank our, our our beautiful, wonderful, fast uh, editor Mickey Freeland, who who puts these uh, in forever together for us. Thank you, Mickey. Um, okay, so I got up this morning, and this uh, this story on CNN flashed across my eyeballs and I immediately knew or I feel as though I immediately know what uh, happened here. And when I sent it to you, you're like, absolutely. So here's the um, here's the headline from CNN today. Okay, stop. What are you doing? It's Alabama inmate and corrections officer disappear. They're working to find out how. So it turns out this woman, whose name is Vicki White, uh, last week, last Friday, she gets this inmate who's in there for murder and various things named Casey White, no relation, and says, listen, I have to take him to a mental health evaluation at court. And then um I'm I'm not gonna come back right away because I have to go do a medical thing. Also, she turned in, just so you know, she turned in her retirement papers last week. All right. She doesn't look that old in the picture on CNN. We'll have a have a link here.
0: Hard her um, job though. You wanna you don't wanna I, stay in that.
1: Sure, 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 for sure. Um and then um they they're gone. Nobody knows where they are. The last time, uh last t- time I think they were spotted, their the, the 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 car she was in. Uh, was seen in a fast food or a, a mall area or something. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, the authorities are like, "Wow, we don't, we can't figure out what happened. Like, did he kidnap her? Like, did they meet Falflay and Sarah? And I had the exact same reaction as to how this how this happened. You want to, you want to say what it is, Sarah?
0: Vicky's in love.
1: She's in love. She's in love. She's in love She's the with one. the Casey.
0: Nobody uh, understands.
1: He that uh, he's six foot nine, which is that's a big person. Um, and you know, she's been watching him for a while. And I mean, if here's the thing there was no there was no mental health evaluation for him at court. Like you could say, had they just not shown up, like he missed this thing that she was taking him to, then you might say, Oh my God, he took her. Terrible things are happening. Well, I'm sure terrible things are going to happen. Well, pretty sure. Um but she just um they just dipped. Now, I did not see the miniseries about this that Patricia Arquette started. This is, do you remember this? Came out about no. two years ago. It was also supposed to be great. I'm gonna find the name of what it was, um, where she is uh, again, she works at a prison and she helps these two uh these two inmates escape. And basically it was it was for love. So so how does this happen, Sarah Heppler? How does this happen?
0: I mean, first of all. The Patricia Arquette show is called Escape at Dannemora. Yeah. It's supposed so to be I great. Wanna, I want to clarify that. And then, you know, I want to say that, first of all, we don't know what happened to this woman, and it could be actually much scarier than we realize. And it's possible that my reaction is either projection or some sort of maudlin, perverse... Uh, I love, I, here's the thing about me. I freaking love stories like this, where the, it's like the ultimate star-crossed love story. Like I've read stories about lawyers that fall in love with, um, people on death row. I will stop everything to listen to that story. Uh, like there's some shades of this in like Truman Capote's, the, the, the movie Truman, where you know he kind of falls in love or does he with one of the guys in in cold blood. Yeah. This this idea that see I think it speaks profoundly and this is the part that's projection on my part but I also think it's insight female insight. Um this idea that you understand someone that everybody else doesn't understand and you're the one that can save them and that you uniquely are in a position to be able to give them the freedom that would make them the man that you need and that won. they and that they have the potential to be right see l- love for women is so much about falling in love with potential oh you are men- falling in love with the potential of the man that they could be i mean this is going to be my downfall <laughs> or or my triumph. I'm I'm
1: <laughs> That's the name of this episode. Downfall or Triumph with Sarah. Downfall
0: Huffler. or Triumph because I fall in love so hard with men's potential. And from the time that I was an adolescent, there was a movie called Stand by Me that I was obsessed with. And so I was obsessed with River Phoenix who played a misunderstood hood named Chris Chambers. And there's this like, did you see this movie? Yeah, like when it came out 30 years ago. Okay, fine. And um, (laughs) there is a scene, it's like a riveting scene. And it's like one of the rare instances of like true male vulnerability. And it's, you know, these 13-year-old boys and so it's so dear. But he's telling his best friend, played by Will Wheaton, that he stole this lunch money. You know, everybody knew he stole the lunch money and he was exiled, like, in the community. And so he's he's admitting to his best friend that, like, yeah, I did steal that money. But here's the thing. I gave it back to the teacher. And she kept it. And now everyone thinks that I stole that lunch money and I didn't. And he cries. Because he's always going to be... He's always going to be that kid. He's always going to be that... Hood rat kid with the alcoholic father that beats him up and he's from a bad family. And I mean, this did something to my romantic DNA that I'm not sure I will ever be able to unwind. Well, I am so in love, so in love with people that meet that profile.
1: Well, a couple of things. You know, we're 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 speaking about, you know, Vicky White here and and I'm gonna jump to Casey. Oh, White I'm sorry, I thought minute. we were
0: talking about me. I thought we were talking about my love for River Fence. Is that not what this said <laughs> uh, is about? <laughs>
1: yeah. Adolescence love with Sarah. Well, sorry. Um, you know these people—people people that are uh, in jail for murder and conning and theft—they tend to be manipulators. And so, yes, she's seeing in him this thing that she gets. But he's also—he's planting those seeds. He's—he's also—he found a ready—he found a ready person to to help him get what he wanted, which was freedom. I mean, don't you, I mean, this is not like she decided she picked him out and was like, okay, listen, I'm going to make you the man you can be because I can see the, and he's like, okay, mommy, you know, it's, he's, he's obviously going to have some, some hand in manipulating her.
0: First of all, people are wrongfully imprisoned. I want to acknowledge that. And well, that also reminds me that there is, an, one of my favorite documentaries is Paradise Lost in the series about the West yes. Memphis Three. Yes, and the, one of the most compelling characters, I mean, like honestly, like Damien in, in the '90s, yeah, ever is Damien. Yep, and yep. Damien uh, was, in fact, wrongfully in prison. It's crazy. I mean, I fucking love that movie, that documentary series it's- so much. I can't even tell you. And so, Damien was in prison for years, and he fell in love and eventually married a woman that corresponded with him. And so I don't, I remember reading a story about their relationship, like when he got out of prison, because that they had been together for years while he was behind bars. And I'm fascinated with that. I mean, God, if we could get Damien on the show, like he is, I'm so fascinated with that guy. Or Um, um, who's Joe Berliner? Who's the filmmaker? Uh, the one that did the one on Robert Paradise Durst. Lost series Paradise Lost. Oh, I
1: don't, I don't know. I'll look that up. But I do want to say that this guy is in, in prison for the stabbing death of a fifty-eight year old woman. So oh, he's okay. he's not he's not um, he's not Damien, uh, which is which was pretty pretty. We I, think I don't know who we think uh, Paradise Lost, the poem by John Milton. No,
0: no, uh,
1: documentary. Okay that
0: filmmaker this is so is... hard to find. Joe, out. yeah, okay, it's uh, Joe Berlinger. Berlinger. Nope. Berling, okay. Berlinger. Yep. I, sometimes I'm good. Oh, and but I forgot about Bruce Sinofsky. Sinofsky. Gosh, both their last names are like heplah. It's like what is happening?
1: Um so I I am going to predict that, and, and look, we'll we'll get to this in a second. But there are plenty, plenty, plenty of people that fall in love with people on death row, and they do it because it's also, it's safe. You can be saving this person, but you actually, you know, they're they're. You're actually not going to have to have a life with them, right? And this has a lot to do with what we'll talk about a little bit later with like why people watch true, true crime.
0: Oh, but and by the way, you- this is totally re- re- it, it. It totally describes most of my deepest relationships. Not that the person was in jail, but that it was l- primarily through phone, email, text, old fashioned phone. Like a lot. Like my deepest relationships with men have not been exclusively, but primarily. Uh, existing in the virtual world. All right, well, then when you let...
1: It does. So in the case of uh, Vicky and, and Casey White here, they've broken that now. Now they are out in the real world where there's going to be real world issues to deal with. I, I'm sorry to say this. I I cannot see this ending well in any way. First of all, he's six foot nine, okay? Second of all, she's got a service revolver. Um, Something... Is I'm gonna I'm gonna predict, and I hope I'm wrong. I'm gonna predict there's going to be a very violent scene within the week within these two people. I mean, it could be the case that he just dips and and gets away with her, and then she has to face the music for whatever she did. But I is a service revolver
0: just what it sounds like. It's a revolver (laughs) that you get in the service, like working. I
1: I believe so. Yes, I believe. I I, you know I'm I'm a I'm from Brooklyn, and
0: I've never been a lot more. I'm supposed to know. I'm supposed to. Yeah, come on. You're
1: you're the one with all the guns in Texas,
0: right? Yeah,
1: I am. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: so, going to the range this week, by the way.
1: Oh, I, so I've only, uh, I've only shot once and it was when I was in Austin and we went out to this, um, a range where a guy teaches people how to shoot
0: and I did really super well, actually. Women are really good shots. Annie Oakley they, uh, was apparently four, they are was, was like five foot two, I think, which is my height. And, she, you know, little Victorian people. And, she, you know, it's something about, the shorter arms or like you just I don't know women are just great shots
1: so I went out there with my husband who is 6'5 incredibly athletic very very coordinated I'm not particularly coordinated or athletic and we got out there and we both shot I shot better than he did mm-hmm. so and the guy who was teaching us he's like that's actually kind of normal usually the gals are are a little more accurate than the guys. And whether it's because of the way the gun kicks back or they hold yeah. it or something, women just tend yeah. to be better shots. Like I'm not saying all the time, but in, That's in right. that
0: particular That's experience. Right. And the, oh, the my only deficiency on the range is that I am sometimes lack the hand strength to be able to squeeze the trigger on some of the kind of cooler guns, the like Smith & mm-hmm. Wessons that I've tried. Because I'm trying to get comfortable with handguns, which scare the holy hell out of me. And so the best way to do that is to have some interaction with them. But my 100%. hands are so small. I have the hands of a seven-year-old boy. You're kind of tiny. And they're, ti- they're tiny. Yeah. They're tiny, but they're strong. Strong but fierce. But because so, of their smallness, I just can't, I lack the grip strength, the hand strength to handle some of the The bigger firearms. cooler.
1: So I did. So last night I spent two hours doing something, and then the last hour this morning I only have about ten minutes, and that was um, that was watching a documentary on Netflix on uh, John Wayne Gacy. And um, I'll just take a minute to explain why I was doing that. Um, so last week, for almost the first time in my professional life, um, a story that I've worked on, a feature that I wrote many years ago for the LA Weekly. It basically, got optioned. It's going to be turned into a film. Uh, really cool people! Yay, Nancy! Um, uh, and yay, these people—they're so cool. Um, and that kind of—you know—this story. It's a story where I drove. I wrote. Bleh, I drove cross-country with a pen pal of the serial killer John Wayne Gacy's to visit Gacy on death row before he was executed, and wrote the story. And anyway, that'll be upcoming. But there have been. Several um several true crime things. Hold on, before things. you get that, yeah, can I yeah, just yeah. say
0: I, I don't know how long we want to stay here, but I read that book. Uh actually you read that book to me. It, you sent me a link on Audible. Or no, I'm sorry, it was just you reading it um on oh, Plano yeah, Media. So, yeah, yeah. And, I read
1: I read it's an article. It's not a book. It's a, a, an article. Yes, I, I narrow it. It's eight thousand words.
0: It. Yeah, I'll, it's 8, I'll, I'll put words. a link to it. Yep. It was tremendous. Oh, it was so freaking good that it made me mad at you because my, my, my most authentic reaction to great art is instant resentment. And what, so what question did I ask you? You said, about, how old were you when you wrote this? How old were you? And I, I t- texted it, but I did have that accusatory tone. I was 31 or 32. Something and I like was like, that. thank God. Yeah. Now I can yeah. still love you because <laughs> I wasn't well, 20. That, that question was prompted by you telling me it was the first thing you wrote. It was my and first I was like, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold the fuck on. <laughs> this is the first thing you wrote Nancy fucking Rommelman because it is, it's, it's so good. So just, just to my like fellow true crime, uh, personal memoir aficionados, like this hits all the buttons. Like she, it, it first of all, it's, fast. That's one of the best buttons that it pushes. Like it's probably like an hour, maybe a little longer. Yeah.
1: I think it's an hour. I think it's 55 minute read. So.
0: Yeah. And so, and it, it just, it moves with such velocity um, and grace and it really pivots from the personal specific into the broad cultural. And it does that in an incredibly engaging way. I mean, I feel like one of the mandates we talked about last week was to write the kind of story that someone can't stop reading. We were talking about Tom Junode. Yes. By the way, are we saying his name right? Tom Junode? I, Tom Juno. Tom Juno. I thought Juno. it was Juno. I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm gonna I wanna say, gonna say it always, so I'm on record as saying it the right way.
1: I am just gonna Ju- say he, 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 no. you No, know? Juno Juno he he retweeted what you or his or us talking about him. So I, we could just ask him. We're just gonna ask him, how do you say
0: your name? I just want to be respectful. So, um, as a, as a hepala I always want yeah. to be respectful. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that what we were talking about was was writing the kind of thing that you can't the the reader or the listener in this case can't stop. There's a there's a propulsiveness, and this story really has it. And it taught me a lot about John Wayne Gacy, which believe it or not, I didn't know that much about. I could have told you it was a serial killer, but I could not have told you much more than that. So I, I'd like you in a minute to explain who he is for the for the little Sarah Heppel is out there that are not really familiar with him. But I also just want to give my authentic plug to Nancy's work because, you know, it's one thing to say that a piece of writing is good, blah, 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 blah. But it's a whole other thing to say that a piece of writing makes you temporarily resent your business partner. And I just, all I can do, it saved our relationship that that happened in your thirties because if that had happened in your twenties, I don't know if we could go on. We wouldn't be recording right now. And then,
1: you know, the peoples would be sad. Well, when you go and do the review, the review on Amazon, you can, you can put all that
0: in there that it made writing any of that. That's, that's what you get. Stop being thirsty.
1: Okay. So, um, John Wayne Gacy was a serial killer who killed, um, in the mid to late seventies, uh, in Des Plaines, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Um, he was captured, and um, they found 29 bodies in in the crawl in his basement, which is really this is a crawl space in a basement. So you got to think about this for a minute, right? It's like f- probably four feet high. John Wayne Gacy was a big, fat guy. He would get these. He would kill the boys upstairs. He would torture them and rape them, and then he would drag the bodies down. And these are teenagers and young men, some prostitutes, mostly kids that were he said i got a job you want to do some construction work for me and this would happen
0: interestingly he com- he, he says to you or your companion i can't remember that he's not gay he's uh, yeah well that's right he's good, but,
1: uh, we'll we'll get to john, to john in a second okay, anyway sorry. and then four more bodies in the river so 33 uh altogether that they know of. there could have been more he was found guilty and he was executed in uh, 1994 So something that is interesting, so when I met Gacy, and you can hear about it if you buy the thing on Amazon or if you read it, I'll put a link uh, here in the show notes so you can just listen to it for free, Um, he denied everything, like absolutely everything. And I actually learned from the documentary (laughs) that I watched last night and this morning that, in fact, he did tell the people that arrested him and his defense attorney everything, everything he t- like to to the person because he had great pride in what he did and laughing about it look how much smarter i am than you right. but as the as soon as he was actually sentenced to death he started to take all that back and as the years went by so he was sentenced in um 1979 he was executed in um In 1994, during that 15-year period, the line that he took was that he absolutely did none of this. It could have been his housekeeper. He had no idea why. The whole thing about not being gay, he John Wayne Gacy. I've said this many times before. Like if 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 we'd still be allowed to be sitting in that room when we visited him, which was literally just across from a table, he was handcuffed, but he could have like I could have touched noses with the guy. Um, He'd still be talking. Thirty years later, he is so he was so hungry to just he he yeah. had deep 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 issues. But I was really surprised to learn because I, this I you know I think I'm the only person that actually wrote it. there was a feature in the New Yorker years ago before he was killed. It was kind of shallow. I thought mm-hmm. I he had not as far as I knew he had only confessed to one uh one officer, but apparently this was known and they played the tapes and um i have to say it was a, it was pretty well done and one thing i really appreciated about it which is something i want to talk to when we get to another part of this conversation is they treated some of the victims not all of them they a lot of them unfortunately could never be identified out of the 33 at least ten could not oh, that's be identified. Sad. It's so freaking well, they're they've been lying for years in mud under concrete in the it's you can't. You just they couldn't do it. Plus
0: So there are people out there that, that suspect that the, those are their loved ones and, and they'll you know, never know. They'll never get confirmation. They'll never
1: no, and do you know how many more must be Thinking that it's possibly their lung what yeah, it's absolutely. kind of like the the Chom Juno you know, story Falling Man, which he wrote about that iconic, yes. horrific photo of this man who's jumped from the World Trade Center and he's plunging to the ground head first. And there were dozens, if not hundreds, of people that said, I know that is my husband. I mm-hmm. know that is my son. And if you don't know what has happened mm-hmm. to your child or your loved one, you you is wild. The mind maybe wild. it is in the basement there. So— so in any case, they really did take the time to look into four or five, but especially this one young man's story, which was so important and so incredibly respectful and necessary. When you handle these stories, I am absolutely committed, as someone who has written about murdered children, that you need to— like, you you like have to handle it like a Fabergé egg, and I think that this documentary, which you know could have been more like A and E true crime, they they actually did a, a pretty fair job and in including some just like really really moving moments, including the last boy that was killed. He was 15. His father during the trial going up to the defense attorney and saying. I have nothing but respect for the job that you need to do. That you're doing your job, and I know it's really hard. And the det- attorney, now it's 30 years later, said it's one of the classiest moves in 30 years that I've ever seen.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it was—I gotta say—it's really, it's really not a bad piece. It's on Netflix. I think it's only three episodes, and um,
0: it's like number me, it was, two. Like all week, it was like number two in the country, like trending. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it was. It was in. Well, the, I found it because it was in that top bar on trending.
1: Um, One one more thing, and then I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you asked me to, I was always surprised, you know, of course he meant something in my life because I wrote about it, and he's always just been around, but I was also alive when this stuff happened, and I remember what a gigantic sensation was, and I found out today, and I think this number still holds, he he killed more people as a serial killer in this country than anyone ever has, and that he- That you know of? well that we know of exactly and then and then that, that his name sort of recedes into the past is very interesting and in a way almost sort of hopeful you know yeah. we go on that's right and um so but if if people are interested in it it's he's a very i don't know if complicated is the right word but he certainly was somebody that captured the culture um you know and 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 um
0: what are his years of terror like? What is his reign of terror? Well,
1: he started. He actually, um, he was arrested for sodomy of a young man against the young man's will in 1966, and then he um, his crimes were mid 70s. I think starting 74, 76, and he was captured uh, December 11th, 1978.
0: Okay, we're still unwinding so, a lot of the a lot yeah. of the 70s, man. The 70s, but yeah, I have two 70- things I want to say before we leave this subject. Um, one is that reading your story or listening to your story, which I recommend anybody do, um, everybody do, it reminded me of a real life Silence of the Lambs, which is not a movie that I actually love as much as other people, but I do think it's a, it's quite a remarkable movie that still tans, stands a test of time. But there was. Um, you're, you know, seeing this story from a women's perspective, a woman's perspective, walking into that space, the things that were said to you, the engagements. I was so excited that this is being optioned and is going to become a movie Um, because I think uh, it's obviously a very different story than that. Like there's very, very notable differences, but it has so much in common. And uh, Silence of the Lambs would have come out right around the time you wrote that. Am I am I wrong? I think that's, that's right. Like, it's like ninety four. Ninety four. Ninety four. My article. I, I do wanna I do wanna I do wanna
1: stress because I didn't mention it because it wasn't it. The story is not um based on my article. It's based on Rick, who was the pen pal of Gacy. Got it. And they started walking down the road to making the it was a film or a podcast, they really weren't sure. And then they realized they really needed me or they wanted me to kind of be part of this too so i've i'm now in the i'm now in the agglomeration and we'll hopefully work we'll, we'll be working a bit with the screenwriter which i find okay good well i i think exciting. this is great
0: news because it means that any enterprising screenwriter can now adapt uh, your story specifically uh you're looking at me so blankly. No, um, no, no.
1: I thought you were going to say to the bridge, the the book. Oh, that's that another, too. Yeah. No, I just. I'm. Keeps... You know, I'm behind. No. You
0: know, I love you, but I'm behind. <laughs> I haven't read that damn book yet. Because I'm a just a. I'm a, just a dirt bag. Um, the other thing I want to say is this is. I run the risk of possibly changing the mood, but will you say the word important for me? Important. I will never stop loving your attention to a T. To, to the letter T. To the letter T.
1: I will.
0: If if I even dare show my face and claim to not love the way that you say that, I want you to whisk that person away. That person is an imposter.
1: Um, I wanted to say two things. I wrote down a quick note this morning. Um, it's interesting because when I wrote the piece about Gacy, there's a lot of... Um, his letters to Rick that we quote, Rick had the letters and we just quote them. Rick was your friend. Rick Rick was the friend friend. who was the pen pal. And we quote them, you know, very long. And I was writing for the LA Weekly, which is a very established paper. And there was no problem in that. Well, I find out later when I'm writing To the Bridge, A True Story of Motherhood and Murder, like everything that a person writes is their intellectual property, right? And no one, as far as I know, in Gacy's family, has ever come forward to say, Hi, I want some of the money from his paintings. He sold like 2,000 paintings. Like, though, no, you don't get to get that. Or I want this. Right. I think his family just, they just receded. They just, it was well, too Well, can much. you blame them? No, I can't. It's like that article in the New Yorker many, many years ago about the last name Hitler. Like, there were oh, people Jesus with the last Christ. name of Hitler, and they're like, We're going to be changing that name. That, we're just I'm- not, we just not are going to keep, we're not going to keep that name. So, um, um, but I wanted to say something about handling it with like kid gloves or or Faberge eggs. One thing when we started talking about this podcast, we talked about the fact that um sort of the kind of big podcasts we knew that were hosted by gals were about murder. And yeah. I knew about but with one, the
0: exception of like Megan Downs, the Unspeakable. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But or I'm the talking red like scare. Yeah. Right,
1: right. And I and we were talking about like you know why is this so interesting to women and well there are a lot of reasons but one thing that i kind of don't understand is i think it's very interesting to unpack a murder but i just think it has to be done with so much care um and i and and it's it's you know there's a weird kind of squishy maybe even uncomfortable line between Entertainment and elucidation when it comes yeah. to talking about these things. And um, I I, I I pledge that we will always do it properly.
0: I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And I just want to say that, like, I have had a true crime fixation and a horror fixation. You know, it really started to manifest when I, I fell in love with Stephen King when I was like 11, 12, 13. And I became, I, I got absolutely bit by that bug and I read every book he did up until it. And then I somehow just stopped, but it pivoted at some point into true crime, which makes a lot of sense. And I also a a fixation with gangster movies. So, I mean, this is part of my cinephilia, right? Is that I'm obsessed with the Godfather and Goodfellas and Scarface and you you know you just start naming the the movies that are amazing and they're about gangsters i mean even a uh, clockwork orange which is a fucking horrendous story and a visually stunning film you know that that's really about nihilism and i don't really even know what that movie is about but um Maybe that's the problem with that movie or Kubrick. Wait, come back. Um, True crime. When I was 32, uh, it was the first time that I was actually the victim of of a crime. I was robbed at gunpoint in the French Quarter of New Orleans and I was pistol whipped. And it was very shocking to have to have sort of read and fetishized all this this kind of story all my life, you know, to have wondered what it would be when I had a gun in my face. And then I did have a gun in my face. And what I learned is that I take directions. I mean, I I was like he was like, give me the bag, bitch. And I was like, you got it. Yeah gotta why, why did he hit you too? So so I was walking down the street with some friends. It was uh, like around uh, midnight in the far end of the French Quarter, a year after Katrina. So they're having a real bad pri- crime problem, which normally doesn't encroach on the French Quarter, which is the tourist capital. And I have a habit that I think I learned, honestly, I think I learned it on 20, 20 or 60 Minutes. I could not tell you which. Which <laughs> is that when you have your purse on your shoulder, you put your finger here, like underneath it so that if somebody tries to yank it off your shoulder, you instinctively pull back. Like literally I... this tip, which was given to me at like the age of 14 has now come in handy at the age of, I'm as actually 31. Um, on the street, the Royal Street in the French Quarter, I had a Dolly Parton tote bag, meaning it was a tote bag that was silk screened with the 70s image of Dolly Parton. I loved it. I bought it at a Brooklyn flea market. I had recently moved to Brooklyn. I was, uh, felt a tug on my shoulder and I instinctively pulled back and then I felt a smack on my head and I was staring forward and so I was really confused and I thought a barrel tile from one of the storefronts had fallen on my head and hit me. And then I turned around and I saw a gun in my face. And I remember I just saw the barrel of it. And then he said, Give me the bag, bitch. And I just gave it to him. Cause I was just like, I oh, was, yeah. what completely astonished me about this moment was that I was calm. I was very, very calm. It was the calm that I felt once when I spun out on a freeway. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like somebody else is in charge of this. I don't have to worry. Like, Whatever happens next is I have no control over. It. And there was this weird release. And this is a long story that I've told. We can link to an essay that I wrote about okay. this because this story is going to keep going because what's going to happen is that a detective is going to show up. Uh, we thought he was really cute. We called him because I was there with my friend and her boyfriend, who's now her husband. And we called him the Dapper Detective. It's very, like, very confounding to have this, like, violent episode. I had a knot on my head the size of a lime. But I also had no insurance. So I refused to go to the hospital. But uh, anyway, I gave my uh, statement to the detective. And I was like, that guy was really cute. And he's, like, really young. And he didn't look like a detective. He, like, was sort of slender and boyishly handsome, and, uh, anyway, I, you know, here is my, like the resilience of my love instinct is that even in that situation, I was like, oh, I could, I could love that guy too. And, <laughs> uh, but fast forward, there's a really long story that's much we'll more a, complicated. We'll put a link. We'll put a well, link. Yeah. yeah but, but anyway, the, 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 point of this is, is that like a, a year later, uh, I testify in a trial of, for that guy, the detective takes me to lunch. He's just moved to homicide and uh we become friends and we become pen pals. And then um, six months later, I the case is closed. the the kid that robbed me got 15 years for uh, that and another crime. And uh, I start dating this detective whose name is Nick and he was one of the great, love stories of my thirties. I mean, great in (laughs) a double edged sense. I really thought I was going to marry him. I thought I had met my sort of final person. Uh, Six months after we got involved, he uh, left me very, very suddenly without much warning, bringing on some of the worst years of my drinking. This is a story that I didn't tell in Blackout because it was so sort of distracting and uh, it was hard to tell it. So I'm going to, I'm trying to keep it fast now. But my point is, well, part of one of the reasons I fell in love with Nick during those, those months when we were just talking on the phone, that was one of the virtual like love relationships I had, even though it was eventually in, in real time in real life. Um, He had just started homicide work. And I remember him saying like he had gone to the coroners that morning and he said, I touched a brain and I was like, oh my God, this is like my love language. And he was like, are you joking? And I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. So a a quick question.
1: But so you said before you had met him, you were already, besides like Stephen King, which is kind of a different animal, um, you were already interested in true crime and you were already reading it? Totally. One thing I want to do, maybe, I'm not much of a cinephile, is that the word? Um, But I do have a pretty great. I think it's a pretty great list of true crime books, but the kind of true crime books that are not like, you know, nying, 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 those kind of more like Shot in the Heart um, kind of oh, books. I love Shot and, in the and, Heart. And, Shot in the Heart and, um, is
0: such a good book. Yeah. I just interrupted you. Sorry.
1: So I think what we're going to do, maybe I'm going to make a list. I mean, maybe we can just both make, uh, we're going to make a really good true crime book list and include it in the show notes here because, you know, you might want to dip into them. And these are totally road tested books that I've I've cited in my own work that Sarah's probably read most of them um and maybe that will be um be
0: good Yeah for- just to give you a sense of what my courtship was like with this person I after we had lunch I wanted to thank him so I sent him the first season of The Wire which he'd never seen because I told him that if anybody was going to turn him on cop shows which he hated I wanted it to be me and David Simon and I didn't hear back for 2 weeks and I was like well okay whatever and then a package showed up on my doorstep, and it was a true crime book called A Terrible Thunder, which was about a shooting that took place at the hotel that I had stayed at when I was in New Orleans.
1: Was it a good book? Or yeah, just, it was good. It I mean, happened. it wasn't great, but
0: it was, good. it was good. It was good because I'd just been there, and I was like, oh, this guy gets me. Um. Okay, so we had I so I can I say one more thing. I don't want to linger too much on Nick, but I want to say one more thing about the true crime thing, which is that you know, I was out of touch with Nick for years, but I got in touch with him a few years ago, or he got in touch with me, and I told I asked him what he thought about true crime podcasts because I wanted to know what a homicide detective thought about this frenzy for true crime. First of all, he was like are you joking right now? Is this real? And I was like, no, this is totally real. And he was, I was like, have you heard of my favorite murder? And he goes, that could not be a real podcast. And I said, no, it is a real podcast. I had to like go to the internet and prove to him that my favorite murder was an actual podcast that people were super excited about. And he was like, I don't, he's like a very chill guy. And he was like, I don't like that. (laughs) And then I said, they're, they're their catchphrase is stay sexy and don't get murdered. And he was like, I cannot believe that this is real. You are trolling me and this is not real. And I said, no, that's real. And he said, well, that's disgusting.
1: So I can't really say anything bad about my favorite murder because I only listened to it once and I just couldn't. I couldn't. They they hadn't even gotten to the murder. They were like 20 minutes in and I was like, well, I don't know. I just don't think it's for me. I did the same thing. I have to say, you know, like sometimes people have provocative titles. And, you know, that's what's going to get you in the room. And so I can't really say what their show is about. I can say I personally think that my favorite murder is a bit disrespectful. Um, I mean,
0: people are murdered. It's so this dehumanizing. Is like, this it's, is not, I'm sorry. This is it's like, so dehumanizing. And I it's have kind used of not okay. <laughs> so many titles to get in the room. Hello, blackout. And, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. get it, okay? And, and I have a gallows humor, too. And the thing is, is, like, it is so flattening and dehumanizing about the subject that you claim to be so obsessed with. And this is actually not, I don't have feelings about those two women. It's two women that host it, right? I, two, I, guess. Right? Yeah, I think I think so. I think yeah. and I have very good friends that love this podcast. I have they they came to Dallas and they sold out. The Majestic Theater, which is really big, two nights in a row for a podcast. So and and I mean, so so whatever they are doing, it speaks powerfully. It does. It it is connecting powerfully. But I cannot hear that name. And when I learned that their catchphrase was stay sexy and don't get murdered, I just wanted to put it in a time capsule that said, like, 2019 feminist confusion? Well, (laughs) very
1: good. Um, I mean, when you say it's my favorite murder, you're making it about you, right? It's no longer about the— It's like, it's my favorite murder. That's what's important here. I'm going to tell you— I mean, as somebody
0: that makes all stories about myself, I feel like I need to defend that. But yes, you're accurate. completely accurate.
1: And and the thing is that I— It's just—it's flip. It's flip. And I would just like to say— Uh, we're, we're, I, I don't, I am not, murder is not my beat, but about every 10 years I wind up walking into a very big murder story or it becomes big in my career. You've addressed these two. I, we will be talking about murder on this podcast, but it is not going to be in a way that's, um, I hope it's going to be with some delicacy because I think that that's
0: really important. One Um, of the, oh God, Swoon. What? swoon. Do you not even know what you just did? No.
1: Is it important?
0: Yes! he said important. <laughs> important. Um, uh, real quickly, one of the things that I got to see up close through my very deep relationship with Nick, who is totally fine with me using his name, I tried to not use his name at one point, and he got mad at me because he said he did those things and he's not embarrassed, meaning dating me. And... I got to see the soul damage of being the person that is there for the transition between life and death, or if not there for it, because sometimes you're not there during that transfer, although sometimes he was, you are one of the first ambassadors. You're a go-between, between between worlds, between the living and death and you are a translator of that what it did to his soul his way of viewing the world his heart all of which he signed up for by the way homicide was the best job he ever had he he freaking loved it he's a captain now i suspect part of him misses homicide although he also was like captain the french quarter he misses that one the most um i Can never take that lightly, having seen what it does. See, because I came into that relationship. Oh, this is fun. This is fun. Tell me about the brain. Tell me Mm -hmm. about the putrefaction. Tell me about blood spatter. Uh, Like a hungry... So this was a funny story. He would have this joke that I was his partner, you know, because he, you know, he was like, you're my real, like Mike's my, he and Mike used to rib each other all the time. Mike's my partner, but you're my real partner. And we're going to go be partners together one day. And so he sent me the homicide book. They homicide detectives. They have a homicide textbook, just like everybody else. They, this was Nick's favorite book. He loved it. It taught him everything. He wanted to know about homicide investigation. So I he sent it to me. I opened it up like, oh, this is gonna be amazing. I saw a dead body on the second page, screamed and shut the book. And I called Nick. And I was like, Nick, there's a dead body. And he was like, Oh, baby, you're you're not gonna well, what like you, that book. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he's like, Well, baby. what do you what do you think I do? All right, I'm gonna put a button on this by by just saying one thing. I actually turned it in a piece for a reason last week and uh I closed it out with this, and it's very much what we're talking about. So, when you say you're the ambassador, um, when I was writing to the bridge, look, you're writing about the hardest things that have happened to people. There's like no doubt the killing of a child. Like, this is like, you're not going to get harder than this, right? And I had people really ask me not, people in the family ask me not to do this. And I, they were like, you're going to make it worse. I'm like, okay, how do we make this worse? We've got a mother in prison. We've got this other crazy character. We've got a dead child. We've got children that are estranged from each other. And nobody is talking about it or understanding it. I really thought I could bring some understanding to it. Well, they disagreed, but I wrote the book. Now, I will just say you take something very, very hard and you make it something else, right? You make it into a vehicle or you make it into a connector. And I will just tell you That the surviving children of this woman who killed her one child, they had been kept estranged by the family for various very illegitimate reasons. But they both knew about my book, and they well, they all three of them, and they all got in touch with me separately and said, "Can you put me in touch with my siblings?" And I was able to do that. Okay, so you can argue, and I'm sure there will be some people in their family that argue, "Well, we didn't want that," but these people were adults now, and they they needed some... Anyway, I thought, I don't know that anyone's ever been in the position where you're putting together the children of, a, of, a, of someone who has murdered another one of
0: the children. So. Well, and I just want to make sure, before we leave this, this segment, I just want to make sure it's clear that while I think true crime can be mishandled, schlockish, gawkish, exploitative, I also think it can be one of the most profound genres. I think to slag it Uh, would be to miss the, the profundity of human stories. Um, Some of my favorite, I mean, Skip Hollinsworth here in, here in Dallas, Texas is a longtime writer for Texas Monthly and one of the great true crime writers. I hope we can have him on our podcast sometime. He did um, many things, but one of them is Bernie, um, which is an amazing story that, Became a a Richard Linklater movie with Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine um, based on a Skip Hollinsworth story. He also co wrote the screenplay. It's an amazing movie, also, one of the most delicate and darling portrayals of like rando Texans that I've ever seen. You can tell that two men who live and love Texas made that film being Rick Linklater and and Skip Hollinsworth. So I I just want to say, you know, like, I have learned so much from about true crime. I, I'm going to read your book, Nancy Rommelman. I suspect I will love your book. I also have to be careful that I don't take too much true crime in. I actually have to be, it's like a balanced diet situation. Yeah. I well, have done the thing where I once listened to a podcast called Sword and Scale all day on an eight hour drive. And when I got to my travel lodge at night, I have never regretted my choice so hard. I was so scared. I scared myself into you know. And I'm I am a I am a solo traveler. Like like twenty years running, and I, I I sleep in the wilderness. I sleep in my car. I sleep, but I was in a goddamn travel lodge in uh somewhere. It was I was like I was like five hours outside of Dallas, and I was scared out of my mind. Yeah,
1: it's not something you don't want to binge on it all the time. Um, okay, I'm going to jump tracks here to a story that I sent you without actually thinking about how tall you were when this I sent it to you. So cruel. This was a very, I God, I've got some really weird feelings about this. You this and me both. Article. So this was in. Um, we'll put it again. We'll have a link to all these things in the show notes. So this is an article in BuzzFeed over the weekend about um, length lengthening surgery. Um, and how it's become very popular elective surgery for short men.
0: Leg who, lengthening.
1: Yeah, leg lengthening surgery. Leg
0: lengthening of your legs. Right.
1: So they they go in and they basically break your femur, and they put a rod in it. It's like an, an extending rod, almost like an extending shower curtain, uh, whatever that's called you hang the shower curtain on and um and then something remotely like a like a millimeter a day or something like stretches it and you can gain about three inches and it has become popular it became particularly popular apparently during the pandemic because people had downtime they weren't going to the office and so it's like i've wanted to do this for a long time and they they specifically uh uh, popular wear well, I guess in the US, I don't remember where where the clinic was, the guy that they were they kept talking to. I mean, this they were focusing on the US. I mean, this is also something it's $75,000. So you've got to have some 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 dough to get this done. And they focused on one guy in particular and also his surgeon. Um, I mean, we've talked about, you know, how beauty is a commodity, you know, and height is a commodity for men especially. And I, you know, I've known a few men. I worked with a guy once when I was a teenager who was quite small, and he was very, very angry about it. Um, and I grew up around a tall men, and I know that that is an advantage in many ways. Um, but this really kind of freaked me out. Uh, the pain um, that he would go through, and also the person that they f- focus on was so angry and so mm. bitter against the world mm. and kind of still a- after like it was how done, short is he? He,
0: how was short five,
1: was he he was five seven and that he, is not that short no it's not no see this is the problem it's like why do okay well, well, let me just finish this part so and he would potentially be five ten okay my first so,
0: boyfriend was five foot seven that's not that th- short it's not that short
1: okay so but he was so full of anger and resentment and heard, it's like the person, you know, to a person with a hammer, everything's a nail. He heard every slight, he was like quoting like all these songs and these rap songs and culture and everybody putting him down and all the, every slight he'd ever had. And now that he was going to be tall, it's going to be ha ha on you. Well, he didn't seem, there was not like any, he didn't seem to have received any sucker, sucker yet, but maybe it would, maybe it would happen. Um, I will say my husband once said to me, he's like, baby, if you got any kind of like, you know, Plastic surgery or or whatever injections, I would worry about your. I would worry about your mental health. I I gotta say, I kind of worry about the mental health of someone who is going to have their bones broke, their femurs. I think that's the biggest bone in your body. You're going to have your femurs broken in order to gain two or three inches.
0: Well, I have a different perspective on this article. I know you do, um, which I didn't read because I don't want to give myself <laughs> ideas. And yeah. if I had a dollar for every time I've made a joke that I was going to do this kind of surgery, which is a, a joke that I've been, I've been running a game on that joke since college when my dude friends used to joke with me about how short I was. And then because I hang out, I used to hang out with a lot of dudes. They would often make jokes about how there's, you could get surgery, you just break her bones and you lengthen it like a shower curtain. Mm-hmm. Like like honestly, that, that whole, the fact that this is real, that this is happening, that somebody did this, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this any more than I need to be reading about butt implants because I don't need to be giving myself ideas because that is dangerous, like physically dangerous to do it's incredibly painstaking. And I absolutely profoundly understand the person that undertakes that hell in order to get that result. I personally am skeptical that 5'10", like, you know, there's a bunch of people out there going, 5'10's not tall. <laughs> like, it, it, like yeah. that is not a massive gain. I understand that maybe for him, that's a difference between life or death and certainly you know on the apps one thing they'll say is that 5'7 is like you cannot list your height any lower than 5'7 I mean it is death and funny enough that one of the guys that I'm well I was seeing him until recently I don't know if I still am seeing him as to be determined but he is six foot three just super hot dude and he listed his height at 5'2 (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, when I saw it, you could see these pictures of him, and you're like, either he's surrounded by tiny people or he's very tall. And so I wrote to him and I was like, Surely your your height is six, two. And he was like, Oh yeah, LOL, sorry, you know. And then later he did, told me that he did that on purpose to weed out women that wouldn't date short men because he mm. found it obnoxious. Which reminds and,
1: me is- but my husband had a friend who, like in his twenties, shaved his head to imitate male pattern baldness just to fuck around.
0: That is totally what he did, like and Tom he's Rock. so like he. The dude is so hot and cool that, like, he was just like, "Yeah, I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna just. I'm just gonna make my job easier by by weeding out the tall. E- what are they called? Like you tall superficial, like or whatever, like tall stands." Like, I don't need you in my life. If you don't want to date me, if I'm five foot two, I don't want to date you. And I, you know, one of the reasons I'm very fond of him.
1: Well, you're also five foot two. So you're like, all right, cool. That's fine. Well, well I, I wasn't. You'd you'd... I mean, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm I... a complete hypocrite here. I'm, uh, this is, uh, I don't like this conversation because it's I'm a sorry. completely, I'm a traitor. I'm a traitor. <laughs> okay. I prefer dating tall men and it is awful. I didn't know it about myself until I fell in love with a guy that was six foot two, six foot one and a half. And I just loved how small I felt. And I felt he was very strong and I felt very like... Like, oh, I uh, stop making the I noises know. you're making me get me off track. Uh, but no, this is the I, thing. I really, <laughs> really liked that. No. And I didn't know that I liked that because I just thought, oh, well, I'm short. So I should date short people. That's just like my lot. And, you know, after when I was in a long heartbroken phase with him, I did this experiment on Tinder that I should talk about sometime where I just basically went into Austin and I said, like, I'm leaving what did I say here for two days? Don't get too attached was what I put in my Tinder bio. And then I just like dated everybody that asked me, it was like an experiment. I didn't sleep with anybody, but I am a makeout slut as we've established. And so I did make out with this one guy, but right before I met him at the bar, he texted me and said, I need to let you know I am five foot three or five foot four. I can't remember. And, and I realized he had in his bio, I'm Prince's height. And I was like, oh, Prince is cool. Yeah, and well, see, there you go. It, that was, right? it was a perfect right? way to no. tell you without getting yourself 86. Exactly. But then he had to tell people right before they met, like, by the way, I'm five foot four. So I, he said, if you want to back out now, I understand. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I'm, I'm cool. I just wore heels. I apologize. And then, and then I met him at the bar and I was like, do people actually like bail at that point and he was like oh my god you have no idea like oh they pretend they
1: pretend like they walk in and they like see that it's that guy and they pretend that they're not them hundred percent hundred percent
0: and he just he was the most amazing guy i loved him so much his spirit was just beautiful he was 26 years old just moved to austin kind of hated it just one of these just like brilliant individuals but he looked at me at one point and he said i just wish people could date their height meaning that he just wished that short women would want to date him and that everybody, like we have variegation in the world and that it would be fair if short women would date him. But there I was. He wasn't saying it to me defensively. He was just making, putting a longing into the world that he just wished people wanted to date their height. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I mean, I have like a total, then the, the one after the six foot one and a half was six feet. So I I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just like, I've been bit. I was raised by a six foot five
1: father. My daughter's dad was six, three, my husband six, five. And I can, when I was making pleasurable moaning sounds, when you were saying it makes you feel little and I, and I don't know how to explain the comfort of that. It's just very, it's very secure to feel like. The little one, not not intellectually, not in terms of like your courage or anything like that, just like the physical sense. But then uh we'll go to the next topic. But I do want to say you almost said the the sexiest line you can say to anybody. This is the sexiest line you can say to anybody is I'm getting on a plane in the morning. I'm
0: right? getting on a plane the next morning. I'm getting
1: on the plane in the morning. You meet someone, you want to. You know, it's just like you saying, "I'm here for two days. Don't get too attached." I'm oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, in the no. It was, oh like, yeah, it was totally. Why not? Like, I, we're just gonna like we're, that. It, we're here whole, tonight.
0: What was amazing about that experiment was that it it a it, it gave the men permission to do things they don't normally let themselves do, but it wasn't sexual. It was like, "Let's go to breakfast tomorrow." I never do. I never ask huh. people on dates this early. Let's do it tomorrow. And I was like, sold. And they would be um, like, I gotta tell you about my life. And I was like, fantastic. Tell me right now.
1: So we're bumping up to we usually do this about an hour and a half. And we were oh, gonna shit. talk about something, but I I feel like I really would be sh- giving you short shrift. Thank you. Don't if I did not don't I know what you I did there. I know. If I did not give you an opportunity to talk about what's happened in the uh, Depp Herdland.
0: Well, oh my God, it is it is really Tense over there, and I've gotten to where. By the way, I'm actually contemplating going. Talk uh, talk do about it. talk about like I'm getting on a plane the next day because uh, because Nick Wallace on his podcast interviewed this woman that was like, well, I just heard it was happening, so I just showed up, and I was like, oh, I could do that too. And, and you're a journalist. When so am I? When is Johnny Depp gonna have another trial? Don't answer that question. It, it's an opportunity for me to see the so-called tri- celebrity trial of the century and also one that I'm like deeply invested in and there's a bunch of people in the D.C. area that I need to visit. So this is definitely on my like to-do docket possibly. One of the things that I dipped a toe into because one of the things I said, I said it on the fifth column and I think I said it on our podcast, was I had not heard anybody defending Amber Heard. Now, this seemed impossible to me because when you think about the clamor and the noises out there, um, but, you know, this was a tough week for her. For instance, the Uh ACLU testified that they had mostly written the uh, Washington Post op-ed. By the way, who called that? Who called that that wasn't written by her?
1: Okay, I did, obviously, because it, it smelled, as I put in a tweet I had, it smelled like 10-day-old fish. And I, can we also just go one little step further before you go on? What the fuck up at the Washington Post opinion? Okay, that you, I'm not an opinion editor, okay, Sarah? I read this thing and was like, this, there is no possible way that Amber Heard wrote this, okay? But apparently, if they agree with the message, then uh, that's just okay. We don't care who wrote it. But I also wonder, and I don't know if you've looked into this, did the, did the ACLU come out and say this because she never paid them the money she said she was going to give them. She promised them, what was it? 1.5. And
0: And she promised them a bunch of money. And then Elon Musk came
1: out, came up with some of it. And and Johnny Depp
0: paid part of it. And then she paid part of it, but the rest of it wasn't paid. I mean, this is pay for play. It's, It's wild. It does not look good for the ACLU. It does not look good for the Washington Post. It does not look good for Amber Heard. This is not a good look for anybody involved. I want to say briefly per the idea of celebrities writing op-eds and not really writing them. I I just don't want to cast, throw any shade there because as an editor, you're just under enormous pressure to get traffic and eyeballs. And you know very well what a celebrity will do for your section. And it's, a it feels like a mutual win and it is not unusual to have a go between. Um, the celebrity in question does n- is not the person that emails you. It's a celebrity representative. And I don't know what this editor knew. And I need to listen to this. I actually didn't listen to the ACLU testimony. There were, I, I listened to the bodyguard talk about, um, He was this guy from Essex and he was hilarious. He had this great line that was like, they were like, why did Johnny Depp have a black eye? And he was like, well, either Johnny Depp walked into a door or a door walked into Johnny Depp. And it was just, you know, he was just, he was delightful to listen to. I didn't listen to the ACLU testimony, so I don't know how much they knew about this but i do know that is standard practice i heard matt welch talk about this on the fourth column
1: barry on la
0: times at la times (laughs) yeah uh, i love barry bombers it rhymes with barry
1: bombers and michael's like who i'm like michael
0: come on i know i know know i know but barry bombers was such a brain frying (laughs) phrase that it was just like what's happening but matt welch talked about um how uh common that was when he was at the la times and if you don't know what we're talking about he said that the celebrity that wrote for this section had a name that sounded like barry bomber so we'll let you figure out if you can do that or not in your head Uh, it's like one of those uh NPR puzzles.
1: Uh let's um, just say he had a big position at one point at a big
0: college in Cambridge, Massachusetts. How's that? Does that does yeah, that like I mean, give enough good. of a hint? That's, okay. Ding uh, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, ding 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 ding. So, um you know, that did not reflect well on Amber Heard and I started looking at you know, who's defending this woman? And so I I I watched some of the, I read some of the YouTube comments on the bodyguard, uh, testimony. And it was just like, there must be like 2000 comments. And I swear to God, all of them are pro Johnny. And at one point someone actually says these, like, I've been reading comments for days and it seems like the whole planet is team Depp. And so I put that on Twitter and I said, this has been my observation too. Does anyone see otherwise? And I got two interesting responses to that. One was um, from a friend who private messaged me to say that Johnny Depp reminds her of her narcissistic father and everything about him from his low-key tone to his drinking to his need for control. like She had a list of things. Is so wince-inducing for her, and he, you know it is, and so that was an interesting thing. Where again, this is not somebody that is for Amber Heard. This is somebody that is not buying the Johnny Depp line, sure. and I really do understand that. I, I really actually, do. I do.
1: I do too. I, I, there's part of me that completely is like, well, you know what? He's very good at what he's doing, yes. and he is able to kind of keep this modulation so that you feel that he's the one that's. Um, sort of in control of the story and the narrative and it's been painful, but I'm going to tell it now as calmly as I can because we need to get to the truth. I mean, yeah, I I would would never
0: like anybody that has skepticism about Johnny Depp. That just only makes sense to me. I happen to have fondness for his talent and his, some of his, some of his stories I've found very poignant, but my like verdict's still out on who is Johnny Depp. I wouldn't pretend to know. Then another person directed me towards a Reddit page which was basically, it was fascinating because it was clearly the safe space for people that are not on Team Depp. And it was a bunch of mostly women that had come together and been like, oh my God, everywhere I go, nobody will listen to me. And everybody's talking about Johnny Depp and how great he is. And especially TikTok. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I almost made it through. (laughs) Especially TikTok has been apparently just like, Super pro Johnny. And these are women that as I was reading through the threads, what they're mostly doing similar to similar to the other one, they're saying, you know, I read those text messages and they reminded me of a really creepy ex-boyfriend I had. Or I have never seen text messages like that in my life. And I think it's really messed up. Now you saw some of the text messages and know what we're maybe know what we're talking about here. I mean, some of these text messages from Johnny Depp, whether they're gallows humor or satire or I mean, they sound like Eminem lyrics and they're 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 next level. And, you know, you could say he's a man pushed to the edge. You could say that that texting your friend Paul Bettany is very different than saying that to your to your wife or whatever. And this was his safe space or, or, you know, but, but I don't think they're wrong to say that those text messages are disturbing. I don't think they're wrong to say that. Do you want to just give us a
1: a, a one or two examples? Because I'm not even remembering the ones you're referring to. And maybe the listeners don't have any idea. Of course, we can put a link uh, to some of these.
0: Yes, I do want to give you a a sense of it. I just had to pull up my Johnny Depp file. um, And I have to put on my glasses now. Okay. Well, this one's to his doctor. I'm still completely in shock over the restraining order. I finally get to see who she is. I'm sad. I'm not angry that the injustice is clear. And I did nothing of the kind of what she's spouting off about. Man, you were there. I lied to everyone about what happened to my finger. I had to protect her. She truly is, as you once said, bordering personality. He means borderline. She needed to be angry about something. I left her that night because she got physical and wanted to take a few choice swats at me. She's so fucked up. And as such, I still love her. I will never allow her to look me in the eyes again. My mom passed away. Amber fucking died. Um, That is actually more sympathetic, I think. But the Amber fucking died... Line uh, was pretty upsetful, uh, upsetful, was upsetting um, to people. This is a text message to Paul Bettany, his friend who's an actor. I cannot live like this. She's as full of shit as a Christmas goose. I'm done no more. Um, far more hurtful than her venom. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the constant insults, the demeaning, belittling, most heartbreaking spew that is only released from a malicious, evil, and vindictive cunt. Five exclamation points. But you know what? Far more hurtful than her venomous and degrading, endless educational ranting is her hideously and purposefully hurtful tirades and her goddamn shocking treatment of the man she was meant to love above all. Here's the real deal, mate. Her obsession with herself, question mark, is far more important. She's so fucking ambitious, all caps. She's so desperate for success and fame. That's probably why I was acquired, mate. Although she has hammered me with what a sad old man has has been I am. Cowan has done me the most cruel of favors. I'm so very sad. I cut the top of my middle finger off. What should I do? Except, of course, go to a hospital. I'm so embarrassed for jumping into anything with her. Fuck the world, all caps, JD. Um, okay, okay. That's a, that's a sampling. And and so you hear in there, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of trigger words in there. I mean, you know, Amber fucking died is one of them. The C word is one of them. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be a certain strain of woman, much like our conversations about what constitutes abuse, that are not going to hear anything, but if you drop those bombs, like it doesn't matter what you said around them, you know you you've you've crossed a line. I the you know I hear so we
1: all know that we should like not text while we're drunk. Uh, we don't know those those texts are pretty um, they're pretty full. There's full sentences. There are five cent words in there. They're, it's pretty clear. Okay, so I'm going to wager that he either has a heroic uh, ability to. Uh, speak and text very clearly when which he's, he does he,
0: I mean okay, multiple well, witnesses have spoken to his okay. tolerance and and he does not show the effects of drinking and drugs
1: well because you're sometimes you're, what I'm getting at is that like what's the first thing to go when you're when you're drunk is it coordination is it um, I can't remember the other one or is it judgment the first thing to go is judgment okay so when you're when you're drunk you're going to do some things that are stupid or maybe text something that's stupid those seem very clear so whether he was or he wasn't but here is my point any adult, especially a famous adult, understands that you are putting something into the record. I cannot imagine that he did not think that he was putting something into the record. And was he doing I'm, – I'm now I'm going on Team oh, Amber yeah. here. Was he doing this to get this on the record? And that is what I can understand. I, I happen to – well, I don't have a dog in the fight particularly. He seems like a much more sympathetic character to me. But it also seems like that was planted – so that at some future date,
0: it could be referred to. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, that's someone that knows, I mean, you're speaking as someone that knows a lot about how libel works, how, you know, because when you work in the, like when I worked at Salon, if there was a potential libel case, like you were just told, like, get on the phone. Like, get on the phone. Stop. Don't create uh, oh. any more No, definitely. There trails. have been times,
1: there's been once where you asked me something, I was like, call me. Uh, there are certain right. things you don't, you do not want you do not want a record of, so you want to do it in person, or you want to do it on the phone. Though, of course, they're they're listening.
0: So, um, yeah, exactly. So, okay, so um, I, real quickly, I just want to say, um, th- so my search for find to find someone who will defend Amber Heard continues, because what I wanted to point out here is I do believe that there is a case against Johnny Depp, uh, and it may be much more nuanced and complicated than some of the team Depp rhetoric has suggested. But I, have, I still have yet to find the person that is like, no, Amber Heard is really is, is misunderstood. She's a great person. I just, I, We have yet to hear her testimony. And so that's going to maybe be the pivot point. But, yeah. um, but that's interesting to me. So when I went to Ukraine, my friend Yael, who does the uh, Ask a Jew
1: podcast for Paloma Media, said to me, you know, anybody can buy a plane ticket and just go. I think you should go to the trial just get a ticket. Just go. Just go. And you know, you, you, I sent you that article in New York Times yesterday of all these people that show up in costumes or with their llamas outside of the trial, you know, team Depp. You're a journalist. You can probably just, I don't know if you can get into the courtroom. I don't know how, how tight they're keeping it or how many people they're allowing in, but you should go.
0: Well, now I want to bring my llama, What? <laughs> Just didn't know that was a possibility for me. I didn't me. know that was
1: coming, Sarah. You bring your Tony Llamas. Um, what? Well, we're, we're bumping up on an hour and a half, which seems to be our, our our out space. And you've got something to do. You've got a big, uh, you've got, to, you've got no, something coming I, the up in an hour. was not directed
0: at you. Let's Diana. not end this. Let's end this with love. It was okay. not directed at you. It was directed, it was like a fist that I was shaking at the sky that was like, there's never enough time to speak with Nancy Rommelman. And when I I speak to you, it's like, love, the time flies. I'm like in a time tunnel. I don't know what happened. (laughs) You're flying. I'm flying.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in with us again. Uh, Oh, that's it. That's really
0: it. We weren't going to do one more, more, little one? I don't
1: think so. I think we're going to save it. I think we're going to save it. Okay. Nothing's little, Sarah. You know we can't we can't do anything little around here. Um
0: that thanks uh, for ending episode- on a short joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna um, this was episode seven. We'll have this up for you soon and maybe um some other treats um up there. I think Sarah's working on a treat for y'all.
0: And um it's my version of a blueberry pie. Yeah. I- I'll be in charge of the pie. It's a blueberry pie of words. That's right. Okay, everyone.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye.